Hey, Sarah. Yes, Josh? Are you ready? I think so. Great. But before we start, we here at the Puppa Pod, along with Dixon Place, stand with love in solidarity with Black, Indigenous, and persons of color in our communities and across the country against racism, white supremacy, and police brutality. And for more information and specifics on our respective anti-racism statements and plans of action, please visit DixonPlace.org and ShakeOnTheLake.org to find out how we're listening, learning, and working within our communities. Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. Hi, my name is Lake Simons, and I think puppetry is a lot of different things. And puppetry is about just playing with things as if you're a kid. Puppetry is hard because some people don't have an imagination anymore. Hello again, puppeteer fans, puppetry artists, puppet people, puppeteers, poopeteers even. My name is Josh Rice, and I'm so pumped to have you back with us again on another episode of The Puppet Pod. As always, with me is my sidekick extraordinaire, Sarah Stabley. Sarah, how's it going? It's going pretty good. How are you? I'm hanging in there, you know. Um, I have a question for you, though, before we get to our amazing guest today. What do you feel about snakes, or how do you feel about snakes? That's a better question. Oh, I like them. I was actually just having a conversation about this the other day. Oh, yeah. So uh, you might know this. I am recording this right now in the small theater that I run upstate New York in, in Perry. And um, next door is a dance studio. And my friend Sarah, who runs this dance studio, discovered that there was a snake in her dance studio. And she took a picture of it before she, like, heroically excavated it out of her studio. And it was, like, black with some white spots. And she, like, wasn't sure how it got there or why it was there. So she posted on Facebook, had anyone lost a pet snake? Or why is this, like, snake, you know, in my dance studio? And someone had replied, that snake is not native to that area. It's a California king snake. And it must be someone's pet. So she was like, oh, okay. So then she, like, posted said, hey, did someone lose their pet snake? Turns out that the person who is living above the theater, their daughter has this pet snake. So finally, like the snake came back in and just keeps coming back into the theater because I guess it just likes being in her warm space or something. So they were finding a way to get it out and get it back upstairs because they knew where it was going. And as they were trying to catch it, the snake wriggled away and slid under the door and is currently now in the theater somewhere that I am in. And I am losing my mind a little bit because I don't really like snakes. And anytime I'm in the bathroom, I'm like in one of those horror movies where like I'm about to lift open like the toilet lid and think like the snake's going to jump out or that it's like crawling around underneath my desk or something or I was even in the shop getting the fire extinguisher to be inspected today and I I, I think there's going to be a snake somewhere in the theater and I don't really know what to do about it so I'm, I'm a little terrified. So what you're saying what you're saying is if we hear you screaming that it's a snake. And it's probably like 50 feet away from me and I'm still <laughs> incredibly terrified by it so all right well i'm not i'm not too far away from you i'm across the street so if you need some help i got you i appreciate that sarah thank you um you 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 help in so many ways in my life and if you could come and vanquish the snake (laughs) enemy from the theater uh that would be great side note i mentioned this to my mom and uh my mom also is devastatingly afraid of snakes and i said hey guess what there's the snake that escaped and is in the theater somewhere. And she said, I am never coming to your theater again. Aww. Yeah, tough. Not sweet, sweet Mary. Tough choice. If my mom saw the snake in here, she would explode. Her head would explode. But here's the thing. I mean, it's a serpent. We're in Western New York and we're in our hometown where our unofficial town mascot is a sea serpent. Maybe it's good luck. I don't think so. Maybe it's a blessing. A a blessing from the serpent gods that there is a snake in the theater. Maybe there's like some sort of like old theater luck tradition about snakes that I don't know about. I think probably. Maybe. Maybe somewhere. I'll do um, some research. I'll I'll, uh, I'll research that one. 
That would be good to find out. Yeah, maybe it's like yeah. a Macbeth thing or something like that. <gasps> How dare you say it? Or a witch thing. I, well, you know, it's a podcast, so technically it doesn't count. All right, well. There must be like some like way that a podcast gets cursed. Like This will keep our listeners coming back if we, uh, you know, if we update them on the snake situation every episode. Right, right. Well, okay, okay, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, so right now, update, Snake is in the theater. There is. We should call him Waldo. Oh, Where's Waldo? Oh, my God. I knew, that's okay. All right, I'm done here. Bye. All right, that's out. Sarah's out. Thank you very much. Well, uh, let's not keep our guests waiting any longer. I am thrilled and excited to be talking to this human being today. She is an incredible artist in her own right. She was one of my teachers at Sarah Lawrence College and uh, introduced this world of puppetry to me in so many ways, among many other things. And she's also my neighbor, which is also super exciting. We live in the same neighborhood. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome an incredible puppet artist. And also, I'm lucky to say my friend, Lake Simons. Lake, how are you? Hi, Lake. Hi, I'm good. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me here. Um, for the record, I am okay with snakes. Yes. I, okay. All right. Great. Good to know. Good to know that Lake is a snake fan. Well, I, I'm curious, Lake, is that because you grew up in a, a state where there are a lot of snakes? Is that like part of the reasoning? Well, I don't know if that's it. I um, <laughs> I have recently last last year had an had a run in with a with a rattlesnake in texas oh my god and it was really awesome and terrifying and we we called these really uh, this amazing couple that takes care of um things like that like in a very humane way and they basically just showed up with this big bucket with a lid and they put the snake in there and they took it to some open field and let it loose so but wow. but i i mean i'm not i don't want to get ne- near them but i don't I don't really like, you know, I don't fear them. And when I was a kid, or maybe when I was like in middle school, I, I was into touching snakes for some weird reason. I think I was just trying to, <laughs> trying to be cool. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like guess that. I'm medium. I'm medium with snakes. You're medium. Okay, I, maybe I'm like upper medium then. Because... Um, I I don't know that I would ever touch a snake to feel like I was cool. So maybe that's like a Texas versus New York oh, upbringing yeah. thing. I don't know. I don't know. You know, as long as there's no no venom, no poisonous venom, I'm okay. Yes, and what I'm told is the snake in the theater uh, doesn't have. It's not a poisonous snake, so that that's good to know. It will it will probably snake up on you, just so you know. I. I, I don't mean that it's like I don't mean that it's gonna I don't mean it's gonna sneak up on you. I mean that it's just gonna be present. You're gonna open something and it's gonna be there, but it's not going to attack you. It's just I'm just gonna see it in the background. And it's and it's not gonna be like one of those fun like clown snake in a can things that like open up now, either. Now you have to create it's too bad that there isn't I mean this isn't we're not seeing this, we're just hearing hearing this, right? Yes, yes so, correct. Fortunately, yes. we can't have some sort of amazing like sock puppet that shows up. Oh <sighs> my god. Oh my god. But maybe there's some way to describe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe there is. Josh slowly gets strangled anyway. to death by the snake as it wraps around his neck. <laughs> that we would be able to hear. That would be good. Uh, well, well, snakes aside, we're here to talk about... Some puppetry things today. I, I guess, Lake, you, you've been in the field doing it for uh, a while, maybe like even before contemporary puppetry really was popular, I guess, in New York. So I guess I'm curious, like your journey from growing up in a theater uh, and then going to an art school. You were trained in, at the Lecoq School as well in France. And then you kind of lived this amazing like artist life in New York. Um, how does that journey like first start in the puppetry world for you? Like, was that when you were growing up or more of a New York based thing? Well, kind of, a, there was like, I would say little, little bits and pieces here and there. Um, but I definitely was exposed to puppetry when I was a kid and, and beyond the kind of normal exposure that someone has by watching Sesame Street and the Muppets. Um, I was exposed to the use of puppetry in theater. And, um, and it, you know, that whole kind of world to me, it's, it's funny looking back at all of that because so much of it just felt like um, very normal, like it was just sort of 
the normal thing that happens. And it wasn't until a little later in life that I realized that like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's something that was a little more spectacular to experience that. And it's not, it's not necessarily the norm. Would you say that was more, is that like more your upbringing in the theater that you're referring to or puppetry specifically? I think my bringing in theater and then, you know, a little, you know, side note of puppetry. But the, but the work that, that I was exposed to, the work that my parents were doing, there was a lot of puppetry included in what they were making. From things that were just sort of more kind of smaller elements of puppetry that were being used to something that was, you know, a, a puppet having like really playing a larger role within the story. So, so that I was just aware of that. And then it, but, but I would say the big, the big moment for me that I became aware of the power that puppetry has and also the power of using objects and puppets to tell a story was when I was at school in Paris. Um, and there was a, a specific sort of style that we were playing with at the time that was Buffon. And, and Buffon is very much about disguising your own body and creating new sort of creating a new body for yourself that's both, that's not necessarily like, like a beautiful body. It's about really like exploiting the body and making it become something grotesque. And through that, I was playing with form and I was playing with object. And through that is when this, this sort of like other world started to come about for me and where I realized that I, um, that I really wanted to make puppets and that I felt this need to make puppets to, to share what was in my mind to, um, to fulfill the various exercises that we were doing at school. And there was like a little group of people that we were all sort of like figured out that we all liked doing that. And so we gravitated to each other and just started to make, make that work. And it was, and it was very much um, um, appreciated. The teachers were all for it. And so we were encouraged, but I still feel like I was just sort of got my foot wet with that. And I was also in that mode of, I think, being in that kind of surrounding when you're at a school like that, you're very much in collaboration mode and very much in like partnerships, teamwork, and not so much about like you as an artist on your own, like, you know, like figuring out what your own vision and your own voice and your own style is. It's very much, I'm being influenced by this group of people and I like what they're doing and they like what I'm doing. And we're all sort of have one voice together. So I was, I was kind of in that mode. And then moving to New York, I, I feel like my training got super amped up by uh, working with a couple of very key people, primarily working with Basil Twist, having, having that amazing opportunity to be hired. He was in a pinch and I showed up at the right moment and the right time and he hired me. And it was just like the beginning of this very rigorous training that was way beyond, you know, creating, creating little things and making them come to life, things that were in my mind, creating them. But it was, here's this person who has created this absolutely gorgeous puppet that is to be operated in a very specific style. And how do, how do I figure out how to do that? And, the, and for that specific show, it was Bunraku style puppetry. And so I was really just thrown in and really did that thing that we're all told some people say you should do this and some people say you shouldn't do it, but I pretended that I knew what I was doing. <laughs> you know, I went off of instinct and I just said, sure, I can do that. And just tried to like watch and learn and soak it in. And I remember at one point Basil said to me, do you think that you're going to ever get any better? <laughs> <laughs> oh my in the sweetest voice. And, um, and I remember just like, oh my God, I've got to figure this out. <laughs> Crap. And, um, and I really like kind of took it to the next, I just, I went into overdrive and just, you know, just decided I can't like, uh, there's, you know, no more, no more mistakes. And I just, I just did my very best and I, and, uh, and I got, I got, you know, pretty good at it. And that was an incredible training moment because we did that show. It was, a, it went on tour and we did it forever. What and was so the show? That, uh, Petrushka. Oh, right. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And I was on the ballerina and I was on the ballerina's legs and um, it was a really beautiful show. And it was a it was a it was a beautiful uh, puppet and, and a wonderful role to have because Basil was interested in, you know, that that is a ballet. And usually when it's performed, the ballet dancers are to perform as if they are puppets and be floppy and, you know, sort of behave in this kind of stereotypical way of like, oh, yes, a puppet, a puppet is floppy. So Basil decided he wanted to go completely the opposite. He wanted to create these three incredible figures that would be almost superhuman. 
and they would do all the things that amazing ballerinas are able to do and ballet dancers are able to do and then some and so they became these kind of almost um like ballet superheroes so we were doing real true ballet moves and it was it was remarkable it was really truly incredible um and i i think that if i hadn't had that training so early on that it just it just really formed me and it and and, and i've always been a super disciplined person and so having that discipline, it just clicked with me. Basil, of course, wanted the show to be good. And, and, you know, he was being serious when he asked, when he wanted me to get better. But it was also just that, this sort of very friendly push. Yeah. And I really needed it in the moment. And I, and I loved, and, I, and I'm happy to, to have had that. And then from that point on, I worked with Basil a ton, you know, and it's crazy because all those years ago, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but it really was a long time ago. That was like, 2001 or something like that mm -hmm. and I was in my 20s <laughs> it was just wild and then you know yeah then I did a bunch of other shows with Basil and you know similar kind of intense training you know that's something that I so admire about Basil is that he's very much uh, wanting to he really um is about the tradition and he he embraces traditional forms of puppetry of course he also totally goes the other direction and is very much involved in abstract puppetry as well in a huge, huge way. But he also really embraces that. And so that was a really important thing for me to be able to train through him, through the variety of, of puppetry uh, techniques that he was uh, interested in, um, in creating with. And then another huge, huge influence for me is the amazing Dan Herlin. Papa Dan is how we refer to him because everybody has like a Dan Herlin story of some kind about him yeah. introducing some sort of puppetry thing to us. And yeah, yeah. Um, but Dan, Dan would have been a part of my life sooner than he than he was. But I was shy. Uh, my sister actually knew him, met him uh, in I think it was at the Hart Hartford Theater Festival or something. They were both doing shows, and they met. And oh, my sister's a puppeteer, and oh, she should call me. And then I just I've I've never been good at that. I've always found that to be terrifying to call someone I don't know. And anyway, we finally got connected, and he was doing a show called Hiroshima Maiden, absolutely amazing show, and he really embraced what I had. He embraced what I what I had in my ability, and um, and utilized it, which I really really appreciated. And there was kind of like a, a mutual respect there that I feel was really like allowed our relationship to blossom, uh, also our artistic relationship to blossom. He's always been supportive of me. We but we actually have some similar backgrounds in that we both come from a kind of dance and are interested in you know the abstract and the object and telling the story through the object and a little bit of like that clown work too which you know I, I think Dan would shudder if anyone ever mentioned this but uh, he's got a little bit of mime background as well he does he does and uh, I, I I'm sorry that he's so ashamed of that because I think it's <laughs> fabulous um, but the, the one of the big things that I will always always be appreciate uh, appreciate him for is he really taught me that it's okay to say, I don't know, whether he really truly believes it or not. And I know that we all have moments in our creation process where our ego gets in the way or that we're just sensitive. But there was many a moment with, uh, within a couple, you know, working with Hiroshima Maiden and, um, and other things with him where he would say to me, or just to the group when we'd say, well, Dan, what do you, what do you want to do right now? How do we do, how do we finish this moment? How do we, what's next? And he would say, you know, I just don't know. And I remember the first time he said it and I was just shocked and so thrilled to hear an artist admit that they didn't necessarily know what was next because I'd always felt this pressure that I must always know like what is next, you know, in any kind of directing moment that I was having, you know, that I must have all of the answers. I must be able to um, go, you know, A, B, C, D, you know, keep moving forward. And it was a huge relief. And it was, it was just a big moment for me of realizing it's okay to not, to not have all of the answers. It's okay to, it's actually this like a huge, like pressure relieving moment of just saying, yeah, guys, I don't really know what we're going to do with this next. <laughs> Let's just leave it here and come back to it. Or, you know, just like, not, just not, not worried about it. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, in between, I've had like some other, um, Patty Bradshaw was a really important person that I worked with as well. Yeah. Again, like coming from the dance world and 
Patty and I have a lot of similar feelings and ideas about make-believe and about uh, playfulness and shy, like uh, images that come from a more kind of childlike place. We we just both really have that vibe. And I, I, I always wish that I was making her work and she always wishes she was making my work. And, you know. That's an incredibly generous thing for an artist to say. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I did... I did um, work with her. Yeah, I had this opportunity to work with her once, and I hope that there'll be another time to be able to do that again. I just found it very fulfilling. Again, there's someone who really is like appreciating who you are as an yeah, artist and, yeah. and bringing, bringing, bringing your, best, your best foot forward, but also giving, giving some, um, giving leeway, you know, of like, what's your, you know, what's your way, but also here's my vision. How, how can you fulfill, you know, how can you fill this with you? I love that. I love that, Lake. Um, we uh, are going to take a, a quick break. And um, like Dan Herlin, cool. uh, I'm trying to also embrace the things I don't know. And right now, I don't really know how to make this transition. So we're just going to take one right now. <laughs> we're going to take a little break. And then uh, we'll be back with some more uh, Lake Simons. All right. Sounds good. The Puppet Pod is produced in collaboration with Dixon Place, whose virtual programs are free and participating artists are remunerated. That's right, artists getting paid to do what they do even during a pandemic. Donations help us bring together visionary artists and adventurous audiences and support the community during this challenging time. So if you like what you are listening to in the Puppet Pod, please consider making a gift to dixonplace.org. Dixon Place's puppetry programs, including Puppet Block, Mine by Sheena Stripe, and New Money by Maria Camilla, are made possible in part with generous support from the Jim Henson Foundation and donors like you. Thank you. The Puppet Pod. All right, we are uh, back with Lake Simons. I, I love this podcast is going so great because we have snakes. We have the sirens going off in my hometown uh, from some sort of emergency. There are people walking on the ceiling above me. Uh, and you just got a baby. You just brought a baby inside. <laughs> so it's exciting. A four-year-old baby just showed up. <laughs> Amazing how it came out so mature and ready just right away. There are so many things I want to ask you about, Lake. And, you know, we probably won't cover this in one podcast, but we'll, we'll do our best. So... Uh, one of the things that I really was so interested to know more about is this idea of how, like, Buffon, or that, like, grotesque clown style, which, you know, I always had kind of described to me as, one day a year, the swamp people get to come out of the swamp, and they get to go and, like, be at the court with the king and the queen, and they are allowed to say and do the most disgusting anything. And people think it's so funny, but there's, like truth to it they can like mock the royalty but also like do it in a really mean way like it's very ugly and oh, that yeah. was our, our friend Sophie who uh, I took a bouffant class with and the idea of the form the clown form or the performer's form being disguised in like some way because I remember we had to be in these costumes and we were hunched and wearing garbage bags that like you know made our limbs fold in on themselves I, I want to know more about how that form for you kind of like translated to puppetry as a, a separate form or maybe outside of the body or something? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think that one of the ways that it did it is it just sort of exploded this idea of form. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, of like, you know, where we think of form, the forms that we're, that we're most familiar with are these sort of the ideal form, the sort of so-called perfect body, whatever that is to you, whether it's something that's like ridiculously skinny, or sorry, not ridiculously skinny, if it's a perfect form to you, then it is just about being beautifully skinny or uh, beautifully voluptuous or beautifully um, muscly or uh, whatever that is for you. And I think for me, playing with that form, it was so, um, it just, it just opened up the door of like, what is, what is figure? What is the figure? And it even brought it to a point of, it's like wearing a giant body mask, you know, yeah, yeah. like mask, mask and puppetry have a lot of similarities in which we are, you know, the mask is, you put the mask on and it, and it, 
in, it informs the body and the body then informs the mask. There's like this conversation that takes place, but you know, you're, you're in, it's intended that when you put a mask on that you become very neutral underneath, which is very hard to do. But there's something about like that big body mask of like wearing that, doing the grotesque, doing the bouffant work where it really is like this weird puppet body, you know? And like you could do something where you, you could have a, something that is deformed. You could have something that is, um, whether you don't have an arm or whether you have a third arm or whether, you know, your, your third arm becomes this phallus, you know, or whether, you know, there's just this whole other world of, of, ex, of expressing and of telling some sort of insane story and whether it's something that, that is humorous that then becomes really upsetting or, you know, you, you find yourself laughing and then you realize, oh God, I'm laughing at something that's just awful and how dare I do that? And that's the kind of beauty of that. That's the beauty of that clown work and of the grotesque work is that we're, it's allowing us to, it, we're making fun of ourselves, we're making fun of culture, we're making fun of the things that we hold, you know, to the highest. And it's just, it's just so important to have that, I think, as, a, as people, but also as theater makers, because I think it helps us to not take ourselves so seriously. And so therefore, there's like a playfulness that's there. And I think that that's where the kind of puppetry thing starts to come in as well, is that sort of idea of being, of being playful. But, but for me, I kind of took it as like, it went, it went to this like extreme and then I took it to this miniature form. So it was like the Buffon is like larger than life. But then for the puppetry thing, I kind of took it in this other direction of it being like these very small things and this form. So it was like our body is, a, is, this, is this tool that we're working with. And so for me, it was just like, what, what can I just do with my hand to allow that to be a thing in and of itself that's alive? You know, and what, can I put something on my hand that can become alive in some way? And then how do I interact with it? How does this thing, does it know that I exist? Do I know that it exists? Are we existing in the same, in the same plane, in, in the same time? Or is it almost like a tree, like that I'm a tree and the puppet is some other form that's living within the tree and we're coexisting? You know, it just kind of brought forth like so many possibilities for me. And I think really like uh, brought the world of you know as the the object as the, as as this uh, you know poetry form as well you know of like allowing again going going back to that idea of like allowing this this object giving it the opportunity to be something other than just something that sits on a table but thinking about its history and thinking about its story thinking about who made it who who possessed it first what was that relationship like how did it change. Um, what is it when we are, when we turn our backs, that whole idea of like some, you know, the, the, the beautiful Velveteen Rabbit story of like loving something so much that it becomes real. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that, that's, yeah. I love that. <laughs> yes, exactly that, that, right. That hits home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I love the way that you talk about objects like this. And there's also this other thing that I remember you saying once in a class that blew my mind. And I still think about this idea and i was really excited to talk to you today to ask you about this again because i'm sure it's evolved for you maybe but yes there are these objects and and i love this idea of you know loving something so much that it comes to life but you also would ask us the question how do you puppeteer the space so we weren't just talking about objects yeah you were trying to get us to think about the entire playing space, whether it was figuratively or the, the surface that we were on. But that idea always kind of like really got me excited or the empty space, the, the negative space, you know, what are we doing with this space? And I'm, I'm curious yeah. how that yeah. idea has evolved for you um, or if it's still an experiment. Sure. Well, it's, I think it's always an experiment, but, um, but I think that there's something kind of electrifying about thinking of, um, thinking of a space and thinking about objects in that way, because, you know, the puppet itself is interacting. I mean, we're, we're, you're creating illusion, you know, puppetry is all about creating illusion, the illusion yeah. that something has breath, the illusion that something can walk, the illusion that something can fly, the illusion that something is like, even when we, when, if a puppet is on a surface, a puppet is, there it is walking. But as soon as you, pu puppets allow us to do things more than walk on 
the ground and walk on a table. We can, they have the ability to, uh, to lift off of the ground. And whether that's about the puppet, actually that being a part of the story where the puppet is floating in the air, that's one thing. But there's another thing about like completely transforming a space so that there is the illusion that the puppet is walking on a surface, even though that surface isn't there. And that's where the mime comes into it as well. Um, you know, like the sort of, you know, truly like the mime inside the box, you yeah. know, what is, what is the, what is the mime doing when they are pretending they're inside of a box, they are using their hand and they're touching space and they're having that space. They, they are creating the illusion that there is something there. And that is the same thing with puppetry. When we're puppeteering something, we are creating this completely make-believe world around this puppet. And, you know, again, like sometimes we create every single thing that the puppet needs. We create these beautiful little rooms. Dan Hurling creates these amazing, beautiful little rooms that these, that, that these puppets live in. But then there's also this incredible negative space. There's this whole story between spaces. You've got this one living space where the puppet lives. You've got another living space where another puppet lives. What's that space in between? What happens between that? You know, it, a whole time suspension can happen if you want it to. Um, there's just like a whole other element there that I just find so exciting. And I continue to floor it and I continue to even try to find the words to describe what it means because it is such an abstract thing to talk about. But I just feel like, I mean, from in a very kind of a basic way um, of just you know, I think it's about the relationship that the puppeteer itself, like a, one part of it is the relationship that the puppeteer has to the space and to the object, that that is a way in which some sort of story can be told. And then there's also the relationship that the puppet has to that, to that space. And within the puppetry form, we have room for that. I mean, even in the, in the realm of, you know, physical theater, there is, the, there's room for that. Um, I think any time, even in theater, theater, there's room for that. You know, what is the sort of like space that was around us and like how, how thick is it? How thin is it? You can tell so much of a story of a person by the way in which they go to sit down in a chair. Like suddenly the chair becomes part of this person's story or it doesn't. And that's also a way of telling the story. So, you know, it's still just a thing that I'm, I'm totally into. And I feel like sometimes I can talk about it really well. And sometimes I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, I have liked everything you just said just now. Uh, but I'm still learning. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I feel similarly. That's just so much of like that idea that I, I just feel like is a, a constant um, exploration. And like you mentioned, an experiment in, you know, what... And how do we take these negative spaces and, and make them come alive around this object? It's just endlessly fascinating. Totally. And how can a puppet become like manipulated by the space? You know, I mean, like how, how does the, how, it, does the puppet have, like, does the puppet have a hard time moving through the space? Is it being, is it being like squished by the space? Is it have, does it have freedom within the space? You know, I think there's like all of that, all of that plays a part in it. I love that. Like, um, so certainly there's the exploration of form that I think, you know, gets a lot of puppeteers, I think, really excited or puppet artists. Um, but what are some of the stories or subject matter, I guess, that that draws you in? Because you, you're very prolific. You are making things constantly. You go down to Texas every year and you're usually making new work every single time you go there. Uh, I'm curious, what are the things that you're drawn to as far as subjects or stories? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I try not to get too sort of boxed in by, by things. I mean, I think that, that there's a variety of ways in which things come about for me. I mean, sometimes it is something that's a little bit more of an, you know, emotionally based. I mean, I'm very, I'm very excited about creating images, creating images on stage, creating images with, with movement and with objects and puppets and the lines and that that makes the lines and the shapes that that can make on stage. You know, I, and I also think that there's, there's things that I like, to make and there's it doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily the thing that someone wants to see i mean i guess that's always <laughs> it's it always is, the case yeah, you know? yeah but but i think like the things when i'm most when i'm feeling most fulfilled 
as an artist in making. It's when I am just, and, and it's not to say that I don't, that, that it's not about a serious subject matter, but like, I think that being playful doesn't necessarily mean that it's funny or that it's, you know, um, not, not important. I think it can also be really, really important. You know, you can really get into some heavy stuff still through play as well. I don't know. I, I don't, I feel like I'm having a really hard time answering this question because I think that it's just, um, I mean, maybe it's partly where I am with what's going on with creating right now, you know, with the uncertainty of mm -hmm. theater um, in terms of when will people be able to gather to see theater again, see perf live performance. Um, I'm very, very open to this whole new format of trying to figure out how to create. And I've had a couple of moments of doing it and they've been short and sweet and that's fine, but I'm curious about, you know, length and like what we're all capable of doing. And, and how do you make stuff when you're not a techie? You know, how do you, how can you do it? Because this is such yeah. a technical new medium that people are, are playing with, whether it's Zoom or whether it's something else. So I think I'm slightly caught up in that. Like it's, but, but to kind of harken back to the days of, of creation, I, I, I just, I just like, I don't know, I like nature. I like, to, I like, I appreciate nature I, I like simple things i like i like being able to appreciate nature and objects and people and just sort of finding like the gentleness that might be there and you know really it's just about stringing together images it's finding it's having like a morsel of a of, a, of an idea and not taking not throwing it away like never throwing away ideas um, I mean, eventually you do, but as far as like that, that beginning, those beginning moments of creation of just knowing that there's, there must be a place somewhere for that thing. And I know various people have said that, well, if it doesn't make it in, then it wasn't, you know, it wasn't meant to be, which I don't totally agree. I think that sometimes we forget about some of our best ideas. <laughs> I've like looked back in notebooks and I've, we are realized, oh God, I left that amazing thing out. I totally forgot about that incredible idea. <laughs> that would have been the moment that I became famous. Yeah, that was the image. That's when I would have finally gotten my MacArthur. <laughs> exactly. Life would be easy. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the main thing for me is that I'm, I, I never want to repeat myself. And I know that I, I know that I have a style. Like I'm aware that I have a style and I, and I can't get away from it. And I don't want to get away from it. I like what I make. I like, I like the way things look. I, I you know, not everything is, I, I never really feel like anything I've made is, is complete that, you know, it's, it's that saying that people say that it's like, well, it's opening night. So you got to show what you got, you know, but uh, you know, I've, I've never had the opportunity to have a really lengthy creation process. I've never had that opportunity to kind of like keep delving in. And maybe that's my style. You know, maybe if I had that time, maybe it wouldn't, it wouldn't click. I don't know. It could be that, I mean, that's partly like how I grew up and my, my, my father's work, like he's, it's always been that kind of, you know, three weeks to make a show, you know, get it together. And there's a beauty, there's a beautiful thing with that where you don't second guess yourself. And again, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And in the moment you care, but afterwards you don't really care. Just move on and like make the next thing. So I think, yeah, some, something like that. <laughs> well, one of the things that I am responding to is you keep mentioning this idea of play and being playful and, and a playfulness. And that resonates with me so much. You know, there's so much enjoyment in that idea and being able to find ways to still make believe and not in, I think people consider that a bad thing when we're adults. And as artists, you know, I think it's just so important to be able to still have the sense of play in what we're doing. So it's not so serious. And you're right that we can have a process that's three weeks long and, get something up and that's okay because if we're enjoying the process then yeah the product will be what it will be and yeah whether it's good or not it's the people you're with you know and what you make it's true and that's sort of the question of like well what's important in a creation process is it important is the final product important is it what the audience thinks important or is it the creation is it the, the group of people coming together and having this amazing 
time creating something, Mm -hmm. the good and the bad, you know, the challenges and the celebration. And I, you know, I mean, both, you know, it's both. It's totally both. But they're but they're separate. For me, they're very separate things. I mean, sometimes the two come together and it's like, great. We had a really good time making this and it's a great show. Isn't that fabulous? And people like it. Wow. You know, lucky us. Yeah. But I think it's rare for that to all come together, you know? And there's all kinds of circumstances that screw things up, you know? I mean, like, I know tons of people that had these projects destroyed by Mm -hmm. (laughs) this virus, you know, people that had these, you know, there's just this, I can't even imagine like all the stories, but of course, all in all, we're in terms of, of all of that. Many of us are very fortunate and that, you know, I feel very fortunate that I have a a home and that I can make stuff when I can make it. I'm supposed to be, I should be using this time to be making this piece I'm supposed to be making that as will one day be performed maybe in front of people, but that's, but I've found it hard to, to get it together to, to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, our artists are such empaths. And I think that's such a common thing. I know, probably for your friends and and mine too, just finding motivation. You know, we have all this time. So people are like, oh, we should be doing something. We should be doing something. But there's also like the balance of all the other stuff that we're taking in and taking a minute to breathe and process it and understand where we are in this moment. And yeah, yeah. And really kind of be able to identify what is important. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Kind of strip it away and be okay with making weird little objects that don't have any meaning whatsoever or being okay with cooking 500 loaves of bread as I know that there's yeah. been like this sort of <laughs> bake-a-thon that has started to happen. <laughs> I've noticed that same thing. Is baking bread puppetry? I'm not sure, but um, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, maybe we'll know the answer to that. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) We'll have more with Lake Simons in just a minute. This episode of The Puppet Pod is brought to you by Buttermeat Co., a company and shop started by dairy farmers who realize the importance of delicious beef that happens to be environmentally friendly. Buttermeat Co. produces local, organic beef from cows who have lived their lives to the absolute fullest. Buttermeat cows produce over 80,000 pounds of milk, cheese, butter, and beef. That's a lot of dairy. And beef. That's a lot more than the mere 600 pounds of meat from a regular beef cow. And through their thoughtful and unique supply chain, Buttermeat Co. provides an elevated culinary experience. That's right. It's so elevated that you say culinary instead of culinary. And it's like nothing you've ever tasted before. Owner Jill Gould is an exceptional human being because she's looking to bring exceptional products to our exceptional community. But not just our community in Western New York. No, Jill can ship anywhere in the Northeast. And if you're not a meat eater, Jill carries lots of other products like local cheeses, eggs, coffee, amazing spices, milks, and fresh soaps and oils. She does almost everything that you could think of in your amazing kitchen that you would want. So if you want more information, please go visit buttermeatco.com or check her out on social media at buttermeatco. The Puppet Pod. So, Lake, for for those of us who haven't um, seen your work, uh, how would you describe your style? Oh boy. Let's see here. I would describe my style. Um, it is, uh, I mean, it's definitely childlike in that, um, I think that I pay attention to things that other people might not pay attention to. And there's sort of like little details, you know, my, my work, it, ebbs and flows in kind of content and but there's usually movement involved and the puppetry I usually embrace variety of puppetry styles within it um it just sort of all depends on like what what I'm needing to do what I'm needing that object to do I've used marionettes before I've used usually I I do these days I usually do a lot of like handheld stuff so that just uh, very hands-on that um, the, you see the puppeteer and the puppeteer is usually has some sort of a character involvement as well within it. I 
I tend to not have puppeteers only as puppeteers. There's a variety of scales that I like to play with. There's a lot of things with what, what might be in someone's imagination. I'm very, very interested in, um, in the mind and um, both as sort of the idea of getting kind of like lost and make believe and also in terms of just sort of memory itself. That's really, that's really intriguing to me. I, I frequently do not use words. Uh, that's, that's usually what happens, but sometimes um, it's not all the time. I usually collaborate with my, um, with my partner, uh, John Dyer. He's also, we're, we're partners in life as well and um, have a daughter together. So the music is a really important part of the show uh, for me. The really important part of the storytelling really sets the tone. And uh, that, that's sort of like where that maybe the, da the dance kind of thing comes into play not so much that we're like you know doing like a dance to the beat but it's more sort of like the underscoring and the drive and kind of pushing pushing the the story along so that's that's and you know it's just, it's just a lot of images you know I mentioned before that it's just sort of an image that leads to an image that leads to an image and I and I really allow for an image to just be an image. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't feel compelled to explain everything. I don't feel compelled to necessarily have something go, you know, A, B, C, D. Sometimes it's like A and then it leaps to somewhere else. And I like people to, be, to sort of fill in the blank. And I like for people to be able to take their own personal memories or thoughts and kind of infuse them into, into the work. Uh, I some of my favorite stuff I've seen of you, like wind setup. You played with just wind blowing a piece of newspaper across the stage, and again, this this idea of exploring something as simple as the wind, but also doing it in this really beautiful and specific way, made me really excited to see how it like folded around someone's leg and then started blowing again down and then turning back. And then just that, that idea of playing with those elements is also really exciting to me. And one of my favorite things also that I've seen in one of your pieces was someone's footwear becoming a bird. And... <laughs> seeing seeing that bird like come to life through some foot puppetry which is really exciting I had never really seen a lot of people do that before and I just love that kind of stuff well I love both of those examples those are those are definitely some of my favorites too um yeah the wind setup the things that were being played with in wind setup were just thrilling to me it really, you know, it was, it was really just playing with, it was puppeteering elements. It was allowing elements to be the puppeteers. That was the idea. And so the puppeteer was uh, the wind, um, the puppeteer, but you know, in the, it kind of, that's kind of a weird thing to say because it wasn't like the puppeteer was like blowing, you know, breath around, right. but they were manipulating, they were manipulating the material to look as though it was being blown around by the wind. And or they were to, they were they the puppeteers were um, moving the material around as if it was within water and uh, and that really explored the relationship between the puppeteer and the object and the the, the material and also who the other person the you know the other character within the scene like you were saying about the you know the plastic bag blowing around someone's head and just the the kind of rhythm the rhythmic change within that. And the the calm the calm that was once there and suddenly the calm has been um, interrupted um, and just just showing little snippets of behavior of like how people take take things on and the the, the sort of not fight but like the the back and forth between um, human and nature mm -hmm. of like control and be not being able to control and then with the the pigeon puppets on the feet that <laughs> that was. Um, um, what was that show called? That was, uh, I can't remember what it was called. I'll think of it in a second. But, um, but that, that was really exciting to me because I, I'm, I'm always trying to find new ways of puppeteering. Yeah. Um, not, 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 not that like, I mean, everybody's done everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're all stealing at this point. Yeah, we're all stealing at this point. I mean, I, but, I, but it's just like, it's sort of like how, how do you come upon something um, and then just like saying yes to it. And I think that that's part of like where my interest in like the relationship of the, the puppeteer and the puppet, you know, the character and the puppet, and that it's, that it isn't this kind of like disconnected thing, but that the, but that the, you know, the puppeteer, the character is wearing these shoes and they're a character and they're being, they're making them come to life and they are 
kind of taking, you know, taking control of them and, and making them fly, get, taking them into the air and they're, they're allowing this woman to fly. So yeah, those are, those are two, two of my, definitely two of my favorite shows, even though I can't remember the name of that one. Was it, was it Tree Pop? <laughs> Tree Pop, That's thank right. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have those How moments. quickly we forget. Yeah, well, you know, I feel like we all have those moments. We've like made so many things over the years. I, people have recalled things that they've seen me do on stage and I'm like, Thank you so much. But blindly, them probably being yeah. able to read, he doesn't remember this at all. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, like I, I'm, I'm curious to ask a little bit about Texas, if that's okay. Um, I know we talked a little bit about sure. it earlier, but I think we might have some similar backgrounds in a way because I grew up in a very rural place. In, in Western New York, and you grew up down in Texas. And one of the things that I was always interested in that one day maybe I could start a puppetry festival in my hometown because I knew this form was super interesting. If I could get people excited about it, hopefully it would come see the work. I could bring my friends who I knew were great artists and loved what they were doing and, and share you know these artists with the community and they can have a dialogue with the community and the artists back and forth. And that would also kind of become an economic driving engine in the area that now, with all these amazing artists that are in town, not just the people in town, but people outside the area are also going to come and, and kind of be a part of this communal experience. And you were able to do that, too, because you started a puppetry festival uh, at your parents' theater. It was called the Cowtown Puppetry Festival. Is that right? Yep. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, <laughs> what inspired you to start that? Sure, sure, sure. Well, it... uh. I think that the the sort of idea of it came about kind of after the fact, like we were, it sort of came about when I, when I moved to New York and I started to make shows in New York and find a community, it made sense to bring those shows to Texas if possible. And so I started to do a little bit of that. And then at the same time, there was a really neat thing that started to happen that um, actually the first people to do it were Aaron Orr and Chris Green. And they came to Fort Worth and did community organize the community events, community big bag parade, uh, processional style puppet shows. And um, Sophie and Alex from uh, Processional Arts Workshop Paw, mm -hmm. they came one year and conducted um, a big group creation. And um, it just kind of became I became aware of the fact that like oh, this is, this is happening. Like, we should just call this a festival. <laughs> We're actually doing this. So let's, I mean, you know, sometimes some of those ideas come from just wanting to like market something, you know, it's just like, yeah. let's like make it into something and maybe it will become something. And it did, you know, for a while there was some, there was a lot of drive and I'll say like someone that was really a big, a uh, big part of making that happen was my mother. Mm. She was a big, um, a big yes machine, totally <laughs> made so many ideas happen. She, it was just, you know, no money, we'll find the money, we'll make it happen, you know, just incredible. So she's really one of the reasons why so many of those people came from New York to including Basil, Basil came many times, and he still sometimes comes. But but she was really the driving force. I mean, it was my idea, but then she would, you know, it's like, you have an idea, but it takes somebody else to, you know, make those ideas come come to life. And she's been a little bit not in the scene so much. And there's been a little bit more of res responsible spending <laughs> happening. Um, <laughs> so unfortunately, the those like, we can't really afford to have to, to pay for plane tickets and housing and fees, artist fees anymore. So that doesn't really happen. Um, John and I do go there every summer to make shows. And it's always a really important part of our, you know, our, our creation Li you know, our, our, our lives as creators, it's, it's a really like a fueling moment in time, a little bit of that idea of like getting back to your roots. Mm -hmm. There's also just like a bit of like that slapdash thing of um, make it happen, incredibly energized group of people, no money whatsoever. And so there's also a, the, this, I mean, that's, I would say so much of like where, going back to that, I, that, that question of like, what do I create? What do I make? So often I'm making things that are from 
I, I don't want to spend a lot of money on what I'm making and I'm making use of simple materials. I'm making use of raw materials and trying to, you know, again, allow those raw materials to be put together in a way that allows for the audience to use their imaginations to fill in the blanks, you know, or to, you know, it, you know, as, as kids, like, you know, I watched my daughter bring all kinds of things to life and it's just, it's amazing, you know, and I, I, I often wonder why did I buy her that toy? She doesn't need any toys. She's just making this whole like world happen with who knows what, just, you know, and anything that's around her making nests of ribbons and, you know, all kinds of beautiful things. So coming, yeah. So, so, so that's another thing that, that going there reminds me of is it always reminds me that like my resources, you know, the whole kind of idea of like making work in New York City and, you know, got to have a lot of money to make it happen. And it's just nice to, to remember that you can just make work with some, some minds coming together, a group of people that are game and, you know, and yeah. go <laughs> just sort of a loose, a loose storyline of some kind, you know, ba- barely their script <laughs> and see, yeah, yeah. and see what happens. It's, it's a, it's, it's a great way to create it's, you know, and, so, and sometimes they become little gems, you know, we've, we've made, we've started projects there that we've then brought to uh, New York and completed. So there's a lot of give and give and take there. So yeah, but that but that Cowtown Puppetry Festival thing, I, I I want that to come to life again one of these days. And and having that community thing happen where you've got these couple of artists like leading these all the age groups, you know, people showing up in this hundred degree heat and paper mache and <laughs> going through fire ants and all <laughs> snakes, the rattle pits, rattlesnakes. The the rattlesnake pits and you you know we're asking people to do a lot in texas (laughs) it's hard it's really hard (laughs) puppetry is hard but so is texas texas is hard puppetry is hard because you have to go through the rattlesnake pits Dan didn't tell us that one. <laughs> I forgot that one. He would have scared all the puppeteers away. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, if there's ever a moment in our, our future, Lake, to uh, revive some of the Cowtown uh, Puppetry Festival in my hometown where there are more cows than human beings, uh, maybe these two things would talk I really would well together. I would love it. I would love it. <laughs> This has been an incredible conversation and I could talk to you for hours, but um, we're going to wrap it up really quickly. And in order to do that, we wanted to ask you just a few quick questions, just kind of some rapid fire responses. We call it the, we don't call it anything really, do we, Sarah? The puppet hot seat? Yeah, the, the puppet hole, the puppet pots, the puppet pot. I, 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 the puppet pot. <laughs> Ooh, sit puppet. on the puppet pot. The, the puppet hot pot. <laughs> The puppet hot pot. Ooh, that's even better. That's very nice. Um, so we're going to put you on the puppet hot pot, oh, and we're going to ask you a few questions. Um, and uh, yeah, again, just uh, some rapid fire questions, okay? Okay. Puppet hot pot begins. What is a fun fact about Fort Worth, Texas? Not everything is huge. <laughs> Amazing. What is the weirdest thing that you remember seeing when you were growing up in the theater? Oh, just different people's body parts. <laughs> uh, what is one thing that you love about Pee Wee Herman? Oh, I love everything about Pee Wee Herman. I love that he's a little kid. Perfect. What is your favorite thing about being a mom? Oh, I get to experience, be, just like being reminded of, of what it's like to be a kid, slowing down, appreciating another speed appreciating seeing life through these beautiful little eyes. So many things that could go on and on and on. (laughs) Uh, Where is a a place in the world that puppetry has taken you that's, you know, maybe one of your favorites? Let's see. I really enjoyed going to Scotland. I went to to the Edinburgh Festival once and uh, would really love to do that again. And one final question. How many like tiny chairs, if you could approximate, how many tiny chairs do you have in your collection of tiny things? I have, I pro, I have probably, um, maybe ten, but I have a lot of shovels okay. too. I love you, you have a tiny shovel shovels. collection. 
I do. I remember your shovel collection from Jewel Casket. That's right. Oh, oh my gosh. Like, uh, well, speaking of Jewel Casket, that was the first show that I did in New York, a paid show after I graduated from grad school at Sarah Lawrence. And you were like, hey, I'm working on the show. And I think you could be a part of that. And that to me was like such an incredible moment to just think that you thought of me well enough to like recommend me for a job. And it was such a fun show to be able to kind of figure out marionettes, which I don't think I figured out very well at all. But I was happy marionettes to kind are of... Hard. Marionettes are oh hard. They're so hard. Puppetry is hard great. because of marionettes. I loved working on that show with you. And I loved... Josh was also a part of it that McTiernan... He was our stage manager. Yeah. It was also really cool. And um, that was really special to do that project with you. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And then I think I told you this once before. There was a moment when we were working on Dan's show together. I was puppeteering the feet of a puppet that you were on. And I just remembered, like, my body touching your body. I was like, <gasps> I'm puppeteering with Lake Simons. This is like puppeteering with a rock star. And it was like, just this really <laughs> awesome moment for me as, like, a, a puppet nerd to be able to, like, be doing it with you um, and all of the things that you were able to teach us in classes. It was just like, oh, wow, this is a cool full circle moment. That is just so mind-blowing. So, Aww, Thank you, Josh. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lake. Thanks for the time. And uh, just really appreciate your brain and your, your playful spirit. And I hope we can get together again sometime in a safe and socially distant way in our neighborhood. I hope so, too. And I, I appreciate you all getting my my brain moving and thinking. I needed, I needed a little of that. So thanks. <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> thanks, Lake. Sure. The Puppet Pod, hosted by Josh Rice and me, Sarah Stabley. Produced and engineered by also me, Sarah Stabley. Theme song and incidental music by Seth Fargolzian. Additional music by Hazar and Scott Holmes. Executive produced by Dixon Place and the New York State Puppet Festival, a program of Shake on the Lake and Josh Rice Projects. Support is provided by Dixon Place, the Jim Henson Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Arts Council for Wyoming County Community Arts Grant. This decentralization program is made possible in part with funds from New York State Council on the Arts, with the support of Governor Andrew Cuomo, and the New York State Legislature, administered in Wyoming County by the Arts Council for Wyoming County. To make donations, please visit shakeonthelake.org or dixonplace.org. For more information about the artists featured on our podcast, please visit www.thepuppetpod.com. The puppet pod. <laughs>